Well, we want to pray together before we begin our Torah study. Let's pray. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I was thinking today as we're approaching Christmas about how to tell the Christmas story without Jews in it. (laughs) Yeah, good luck with that. But you know, many people actually do tell the story as if there are no Jews involved. And I was thinking, what happens when the Jewish details and the elements of the Christmas story are removed from the Christmas story? And I was thinking about this as I was reading the story of Joseph from this week's Torah portion. And I want to show you the connection. This week we read about how Joseph is with his brothers. They don't know who he is, right? He knows who they are. And Joseph is clearly an Egyptian, or so his brothers thought. And because they didn't recognize him, they were only looking on his outward appearances, and soon, and it's this week, they find out who he really is. And it is shocking to them. They had no idea that this Egyptian government official was actually their brother. And there are a lot of reasons why it's shocking. But the way it unfolds, as as we read each year, is that Joseph is speaking in Egyptian through an, uh, and speaking to his brothers through an interpreter. The interpreter's translating his Egyptian language into their spoken language of Hebrew. And so they're working through this interpreter. And then there's a certain moment where Joseph can't keep up the charade, if you will. And he's overcome with emotion. He sends everybody else out of the room. All the Egyptian speakers go out of the room except for him. And then he says these fateful words in Hebrew to them, I'm Joseph. And the air leaves the room as the brothers gasp, uh, not in delight. So they find out who he really is. It's shocking to them. And it helps us understand something. If you want to really know someone, you need to know not just the outward person, but the inner person as well. It's not just outward appearances that are important. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, there's this very cogent statement that the Lord makes to Samuel about all these things. And the Lord says, look not on the countenance or on the height of a man's stature, because I have refused Saul. And this is important to remember, Saul was tall and he was good looking. And the Lord says, don't look at that. Don't look at how tall he is and don't look at how good looking he is because I have refused him. I have rejected him. He is no longer going to serve as my choice for king. The Lord goes on to say, the Lord sees not as man sees, because man looks on the outward appearance, or another translation, man looks on what is outwardly visible, 
but the Lord looks on the heart. It's really an important statement. Most of us get confused because we only look at outward appearances and we don't take the time to see a person's heart. We need to to learn something from this that um, you can't really know someone if you don't know their heart. Well, as I was thinking about how Joseph was, in a sense, in disguise, and how his connection to the other children of Israel was hidden and not clear for that time, I thought also about what happens when the Jewish details and the Jewish elements of the Christmas story are removed from the Christmas story, and it's not clear that this is actually a story about Jewish people for Jewish people that's meant to be useful for everyone in the whole world. Well, if you take away all the Jewish details and the Jewish elements from the Christmas story, the fact is it's hard to know the story. You may substitute, you know, Rudolph and Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty and all sorts of other um, marvelous things, but you may miss the really important details. So in our study today, let's, let's start with Joseph's story. And then let's look at what I want to call the redacted Christian Christmas story. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 45, and we'll look at the first eight verses. And to really understand this, you should already be familiar with the preceding readings and the story of Joseph. Um, and I'm, gonna, I'm going to trust that you are somewhat familiar with that. And if you're not, then you can go back and read and then listen again on a podcast uh, and, and catch up. So it starts in verse one. At last, Joseph could no longer control his feelings in front of his attendants. And he cried, get everybody away from us. And so no one else was with him when Joseph revealed to his brothers who he was. He wept aloud, and the Egyptians heard, and Pharaoh's household heard. Now, the whole thing must have been disturbing. This very proper, dignified, powerful man who is... Uh, like second highest in, in Egypt and who is in control of all the, the resources that are important to the people at that point. He throws off all of his dignity and he just starts bawling. He's weeping and crying. And that would be disturbing, wouldn't it? I mean, we were, we were in the court today and the judge was really happy as he was... Uh, pronouncing that Zachary was now officially Zachary Lover, and we were rejoicing. But what if he just burst out in tears and started weeping for no explanation? And it would be disorienting. Well, that's what happened in Joseph's court that day. He just starts crying, crying uncontrollably, and then he gathers himself and he speaks to his brothers, now in Hebrew, not in Egyptian, and he says, I'm Joseph, Ani Yosef. 
And he asked the question, is it true that my father's still alive? Well, I love this pithy statement. His brothers could not answer him. They were so dumbfounded at seeing him. They couldn't talk. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer. And they came closer, and then he said, I am Joseph, your brother. And you know that they're looking at each other like, oh, this is like the worst day of our lives. You've got to be kidding. And then to make it worse, he says, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. You sold me out to Egypt. That's who I am. And then he says, but don't be sad that you sold me into slavery here. And don't be angry at yourselves because it was God who sent me ahead of you to preserve life. So you did these rotten things and you ought to feel bad about it, but don't feel bad right now. And here's why. God was working. He had a plan and he brought me here to save lives and that's what this is all about. Verse Six, the famine has been over the land for the last two years, and for yet another five years there will be neither plowing nor harvest. Isn't that interesting? He had such confidence in the prophetic word through the dream that he interpreted. He understood so clearly that the two years which had happened were just the first two years, and there were still five more to go. He said it as if it were a fact regarding the future. That's how clear he was about what God was doing. For yet another five years, there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me ahead of you to ensure that you will have descendants on earth and to save your lives in a great deliverance. So it wasn't you who sent me here, you dirty rats. He didn't say dirty rats. That's my comment. It wasn't you who sent me here, but God. And he's made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of all his household, and ruler over the whole land of Egypt. So in this short reading, we see that Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers, and they're speechless. And think clearly about what they saw. They saw a man who was visibly Egyptian. He spoke the Egyptian language. He was wearing Egyptian clothes. He probably had an Egyptian haircut. He was an Egyptian governmental official, and he spoke to them through an interpreter. And so by all visible means, he was an Egyptian. And he was enculturated as an Egyptian. He was outwardly Egyptian. He was functionally an Egyptian. Outwardly, he was an Egyptian. He was one thing. But inwardly, he was something else. You couldn't really know this man if you only knew him by his outward character. He had an inner reality, and his inner reality was shaped by his history and by his origin and by his family. And his present reality combined that past, which was now inner to him, and his current experience, which was now looking quite Egyptian. His present reality combined the inner and the outer realities, but you wouldn't know the man if you only knew him by 
his outer realities. He seemed, he seemed to be one way to those who were looking at him, his brothers, and to the Egyptians. He seemed to fit in. He had outwardly become an Egyptian. But at the same time, Joseph was more than his outward reality. He actually was a son of the covenant. He was a descendant, a promised descendant to Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob. And not only that, he was a representative, if you will, of the grace of God and the calling of God on the people of Israel and on the whole world. And so he represented to the Egyptians the grace of God, and he represented to the children of Israel the grace of God. The Egyptians received him, in a sense, but his own family of origin had real difficulty receiving him. They didn't recognize his calling. They didn't recognize his importance. The family of origin had difficulty receiving Joseph and his calling. They tried to cut him off. They, uh, they tried to cut him out of the picture. Now we've got digital means. You know, you can take a picture and you can use a nice app and you can remove someone you don't want in the picture. But his brothers went way beyond that. They sold him into slavery, thinking he will be forever gone and out of our hair and no longer a nuisance. But in fact, Joseph was still part of them, and they still needed him. They didn't know that, but he knew that. Now, this helps me think of something. Three people, Joseph, and then Moses, and then Yeshua, and they share something in common. They're all biblical redeemers who, in a sense, came in disguise. Uh, They weren't recognized by everyone around them for who they were. When Moses was first moving in his motivation to save Israel, he ended up killing an Egyptian taskmaster while he was dressed and living and functioning as an Egyptian, raised in the household of Pharaoh. And the children of Israel looked at Moses and said, oh, what are you going to do, kill us next? And so there was a lack of recognition. Joseph was not recognized, Moses was not recognized, and Yeshua was not recognized by everyone. Now, being rejected does not mean that you are not who you really are. These are three rejected redeemers. But it just shows us something. The people are often looking for a redeemer or a rescuer who who looks like them and fits what they want, fits and meets all their expectations. But Joseph was called to be a redeemer for the sake of the children of Israel, but he sure didn't meet his brother's expectations. Isn't that true? He didn't fit what they wanted They rejected him. They didn't recognize his importance to them. They didn't recognize his essential role in their lives. They didn't anticipate his significance for their future. And based on their expectations and their evaluations of Joseph, they thought he was worthless, absolutely worthless. But God had a plan. God had a plan to use Joseph 
his inner Jewish reality was there, his outer Jewish reality had been stripped away. In all ways, he appeared to be an Egyptian, not a Jew. And that's what got me thinking about how easy it is to strip away someone's reality. And I was particularly thinking about this. And even though in, you know, we're in a Messianic congregation and we're always saying Yeshua the Messiah, I'm gonna use Jesus Christ tonight just so that I can help you know who I'm talking about, just in case. So y'all calm yourselves down and you'll be fine. <laughs> we're talking about who we know we're talking about. So think about Jesus, like Joseph, his Jewish culture has been taken away. And like Joseph, the Jewish prophecy about him has been minimized. And so I was thinking, what if you, if you strip away the Jewish culture from the Christmas story, and you strip away the Jewish context and setting, you strip away Jewish history from the story, and you strip away the prophecy regarding the Jewish people, and then strip away all those Jewish Bible references, and strip away the Jewish characters, and strip away the Jewish patriarchs, and then try to tell the Christmas story. Well, I told Sandy I was thinking about how you would go about doing it, and she came up with this marvelous idea. She said, why don't you redact the Gospels? Do y'all know what redaction is? Well, there's an easy method of redacting these days. You can use Acrobat PDF, uh, Acrobat Reader to redact any document. And all you have to do is go through the document and you use the highlight tool set on black and you can redact out anything you want. So lawyers are using this, government officials are using it. You've probably seen uh, examples of redacted documents on the news sometimes. They'll give you little pictures, you know. This is a, you know, 500-page document, and there are all these black lines. How many have seen a redacted document? So you know what I'm talking about. Well, Sandy had this great idea. Let's redact the Christmas story and see what happens. And so we did. Okay, so th this is a, sort of a thumbnail of it laid out, and if you want to see it in more detail, um, you, you can go to our Facebook pages, you can go to MessianicJewishTeachingsNow.com, I've posted that whole thing, and I actually brought with me the, the printouts, so you can look at them. So what, what we did is we went through and we determined which, which verses and paragraphs we're speaking about various Jewish elements like we had just described, and we marked through those with the redaction highlighter. And we started with Matthew chapter one and chapter two because that's where the, the Christmas story is told in the book of Matthew. And we went through it. Now I use the NIV, the New International Version as my text, and I left in the headings. So as an example, I mean, you can't see it right there. If, if you go online, you'll be able to see it, I think, if you enlarge the image. But the first heading is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. And so as soon as you start reading that, you'll, you'll recognize um, some things. It starts with 
these words, the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, they're Jews, so we gotta like get rid of them, right? And then it just goes on. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Well, Isaac was Jewish, so we gotta get rid of him. And then Isaac was the father of Jacob. Well, he was Jewish, we'll get rid of him. And on and on it goes. You end up really having to remove all the lines, even though there are a couple of characters, Ruth being one, who shows up. But if you just go through the lines and do it the way we did it, you find there, there are no verses in that first passage that you can include because they're all marked out. Once you get rid of the Jewish characters, there aren't any other characters left. And then that took us to the next part. Uh, the heading says, Joseph accepts Jesus as his son. And then it goes on to describe this Israeli Jew and this Israeli Jewish woman in their life together, and then an angel of the Lord who's talking about the promises to the son of David and the spirit of the God of Israel and so forth, and prophecies that have been given to Jewish prophets. So you gotta remove all that stuff. Well, to make a long story short, all that gets removed as well. And then even when you get to the next passage about the, the Magi, who come to visit the Messiah, they are looking for the one who's born king of the Jews. So even though they're not Jewish characters, you gotta remove that part of the story because it's in reference to a Jewish prophecy in history. On and on it goes. This is what happened when I marked through all the lines that had Jewish details in them. Uh, there wasn't anything left. The entire two chapters of Matthew are built around Jewish elements to the story. So I thought, oh man. Okay, so you really can't use the book of Matthew stripped of Jewishness to tell the Christmas story because there's nothing left. So then I went to Luke, the first two chapters of Luke. <clears throat> it was a little better. In, in this way, not much, you're right, not much better, but here's, here's what you can start with. This is beautiful. Chapter one, verse one. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Okay, so that didn't have any Jewish details in it, am I right? Yeah, so now here's what happens is the rest of the chapter gets marked out. There's nothing left. Once you go through it, I'm going through all of it. You have to go to chapter two. Okay, chapter two starts, in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. No Jewish details, right? It can stay. This was the first census that took place where Quirinius was uh, governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. Okay, so you can leave that in. Now here's the troubling part. After that, 
Hey, you got to mark it all out. If you take out the Jewish elements in the book of Luke, chapters 1 and 2, the Christmas story, you just get those two paragraphs I read to you. You don't even get the story. You get nothing. You have absolutely nothing left. And so I think Sandy did a really great job by coming up with this idea, don't you? Isn't that a a marvelous idea? It's really visual. Now here's something you can do. You can take the Gospels yourself, print them out, and then try it yourself and mark through the lines that are talking about these various Jewish elements and see what's left and then try to assemble a Christmas story out of it. You, You really... We'll find it interesting. I think you'll get a kick out of it. I did. I had not thought through it very clearly, and when I was starting, I thought, oh, you know, maybe 50% is what I'll have to mark through. But when I got through the book of Matthew, chapters one and two, there wasn't anything left. All the details of the Christmas story depend on including these Jewish references, these Jewish people, this Jewish history, prophecy, and so forth. So I encourage you, take time this week to read Matthews 1 and 2, and Luke 1 and 2 for yourself, and you'll see just how many Jewish details are in the story. And if you want to know Messiah, don't forget that. Don't forget that you really can't tell the story if you leave out the Jewish details. Now, you can try to change them so that they don't seem Jewish, but that's not really fair. It's not really honest. And it strips away the true identity of the one who we say is the Messiah. I think it's a great learning experience to try to do it for yourself. And there may be some people in your family or friends who you could do it together with and you could say, okay, what happens when we do this? And use it as a learning experience. Now, one word of warning, this is a caution, do not do this in a haughty, angry way with people who you're trying to stick your fingers in their eyes. Don't don't do this in order to irritate people. It's a learning experience for each of us. It may be shocking. It may be surprising for some people. And many people think they know the Christmas story, but they don't really know the Christmas story. They know Christmas hymns and carols and food and decorations and things like that, but they may not really know the Christmas story. So I encourage you, Take, take, uh, take a shot at it yourself and see what happens and see if it's shocking or if it's surprising in any way and see what you learn. And then another way of doing it is sort of the opposite. Go through the Christmas story in Luke and Matthew and highlight, circle, underline the different Jewish details that catch your attention. And you'll see The story is based on God's faithfulness to the Jewish people. Even Mary, when she's singing her Magnificat, which is um, just a, a wonderful song to the Lord, she uses this as an opportunity to talk about how God is faithful to the people Israel 
and fulfilling his promises to the people of Israel. It's a story that needs to be told, but we need to tell it the right way. We need to make sure we get the details right ourselves. So my hope for you is as you're studying and reading and as you're getting ready for Christmas, you'll use it as a learning experience for yourself and you'll use it to help build up other people. And when you do that, it may be shocking to some. The air may leave the room like it did when Joseph revealed himself. Uh, It can be surprising when people recognize the Jewish Messiah. But let me tell you this. Every Jewish person who has come to know Messiah is grateful for everyone who helped that person read the Gospels and read the story for what it is, a story about the Jewish Messiah promised to the Jewish people who has become the savior of the whole world. It's a great story. Let's get it right. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for including all these details in the scriptures that we would know you, not just outwardly, but we would know you inwardly. We would know that you have sent your son to your people Israel in order to save lives, to bring great salvation and to preserve a future for us. We thank you for this. Use us, Lord, as we share the good news of Messiah with our family and friends this holiday season. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. So let's close with Aaron's blessing. And as you're coming up, let me just share one detail as you're standing up and uh, moving around so you're not all by yourself. Uh, this, This week... We had an incredible milestone. We hit the 10 million mark with our podcast for feeds and downloads, and then we've gone beyond that. And so over 10 million uh, podcasts have now been uh, distributed all over the world. It's a great accomplishment together. My thanks and gratitude to the whole podcast team and everybody who's involved with us to all our faithful listeners, and to this whole congregation, because it's our life together that really is going out to the whole world. Thank you all. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. Shabbat shalom, y'all.